0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be back at Burwood. It's been a long time since I've been here. Thanks for your prayers while I was unwell last year. So it's nice to be back up uh, to full speed and able to share God's Word with you this morning. Let me pray for us as we look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll help us to understand what's in the passage, but we pray you'll also help us to apply it to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Cold War between the United States and the Russian Soviets began soon after the end of World War II. European countries were either backed by the United States or by Soviet Russia. And... In the countries backed by Soviet Russia, harsh communist regimes ruled, and among the harshest of those regimes was the country of Albania. Citizens there were given no political freedoms, and anyone suspected of anti-government sentiment was locked up. Harsh concentration camps became their home, not just for weeks and months, but for years and decades. Political prisoners were cut off from their family. And the harsh communist regime ruled every aspect of their lives. Then in 1989, there was a regime change in Soviet Russia, and it rippled across to the countries of Eastern Europe as the Cold War ended. A British journalist went to Albania as the old regime ended, and a new regime came, promising greater freedoms to citizens. And she was at the gates as one of... the the concentration camps opened up. The political prisoners were told that they were free to leave and there was happiness on the face of those political prisoners that was beamed right around the world in headline news. There was great promise of the life to come. Ten years later, the same journalist went back to Albania to see what had happened. As part of the trip, she visited that old concentration camp and the gates were still open when she arrived, so she wandered through there and then people started to come out who were living in the concentration camp and she realised it was some of the people she had met 10 years earlier who had been prisoners in that concentration camp. 10 years on, they were still living in the concentration camp and she realised that even though the gates were open... Regime change meant they had freedom, but these political prisoners had nowhere to go. They didn't know how to live in the new regime that promised freedom, and so they went back to their old life in the concentration camp, and they went back to living as they had when the old communist regime ruled. Now keep that story in mind as we look at today's passage. We're going to find out about another harsh regime that rules humanity. We're going to hear about a regime change that has freed us. But best of all, we're going to learn something about those Albanian political prisoners, something those Albanian political prisoners didn't learn, how to live well under the freedoms of the new regime. Well, our passage today begins in the dark shadow of the regime of sin that rules humanity. God gave our forefather, Adam, one rule in the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the fruit of that tree. For a long time, he made the choice not to sin. Not to disobey God, but finally Adam disobeyed God and ate the fruit. And when he did so, he brought the whole human race under the reign of sin. What Adam did affected every one of his descendants right down to us. Thereafter, the human heart had an attitude of rebellion against God. Outside of Eden, we had no means to do the right thing by God. Sin unleashed and. Alien power that grips the soul of every human, the entire human race, was kept captive under the harsh regime of sin. The regime of sin cut humans off from God and gave them no means to return. Now in time the law was given first as an idea of rights and wrongs but later much more explicitly in the first five books of the Old Testament. The law set out exactly where humans do the wrong thing. By God, the law gave us no power to escape our sinful nature. Rather, it stood ready to condemn us whenever we stuffed up. Look at Romans 3 verse 20 for the bad news. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law reminds us that it's more than our wrong actions. Every human is held captive in the regime of sin that rules the world. Law is the enforcer of the regime of sin, always ready to point out every time we fall short of God's glory, always ready to prick the conscience about exactly where we go wrong. Far from bringing any hope, the law made things worse. A profound hopelessness gripped the human race. But something happened 2,000 years ago that toppled the regime of sin that had ruled for so long. In an unfashionable corner of the Roman Empire, a man called Jesus lived. He resisted the temptations to join sin's regime even after he was weakened from 40 days of no food. One of his first assaults on the regime of sin came when he declared a paralyzed man Not just healed, but forgiven. And not only did he claim there was a way back to God, he claimed that he was the way back to God. And the regime of sin was coming apart at the seams. Then his assault on sin's regime seemed to come to an abrupt end when he was executed on a Roman cross. To the astonishment of his followers he appeared again three days later, raised from the dead. And it took his followers some time to work out that it was actually Jesus' death and resurrection that had decisively defeated the regime of sin. Writing about 20 years later, the apostle Paul explains that the regime of sin no longer rules over a Christian. Look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God In Christ Jesus. Something happens when we become a Christian. There is a regime change in our life. Like the way the gates were opened for political prisoners in Albania, we are no longer imprisoned by the regime of sin. We are living under a new regime. And that's what today's passage is about. The regime change is a two step process. First, we are dead to sin then we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's unpack that a bit more about how we're able to change regimes first up we are to count ourselves dead to sin the old regime of sin no longer has power over us how is that possible well the answer comes from the verses before Um, look at verse 5 which talks about how Jesus's death relates to us we have been united with him in a death like his alone of all the humans in history Jesus lived in a world full of sin but was not ruled by it. He never sinned. He escaped the regime of sin by dying on the cross. And here's the trick. At the point that we become Christian, we were united with him in his death. Death is the only way to escape the regime of sin that rules over humans. Look at verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. When Jesus died, he paid the penalty for our sin. Not for himself, because he hadn't sinned. But for us, we are no longer slaves to sin because he has paid the penalty for our sins. That means the regime of sin no longer has dominion over us. We died to the old regime of sin. Now, be clear here, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. That's obvious from our day-to-day experience. It means that sin no longer rules in our lives. We no longer live in the realm of sin. We have died to sin. Now, we do sin, and even our best deeds are stained with sin, but our attitude toward it is essentially different from an unbeliever. We do succumb to temptations, but this is different from the settled disposition of an unbeliever. Further, our sin is a burden that afflicts us rather than a pleasure that delights us. Now, all of this happened in the past time when we became Christian. It's already happened. Even if we were not aware of it, our dying to sin is not something that we make true by thinking it's the case. It has happened in the past regardless of whether we can understand it or not. We are to count ourselves dead to sin. That's the first step in a two-step process to escape the regime of sin. But there's more. So far, we've seen that Christians are no longer under the old regime of sin. Like the Albanian political prisoners, the gates are open, and they're free to leave the concentration camp. But here's where things went wrong for those Albanians. They didn't know how to live under the new regime, and so they just stayed in the camp and kept living the old way. They were not equipped to live in the post-communist regime of Albania, so they stayed where they were. Fortunately for us, Christians are given all the equipping we need to live in the new regime of sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we've been given a list of instructions, then told to go off and, and do our best with them. There's something much more fundamental than that. As much as we die to Christ to escape the old regime of sin, we are now alive with God, alive to God in Christ Jesus, as verse 11 says. We are united to him in his resurrection. And we can trace the details of that in the verses before. Pick it up from verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, we cannot live a holy life by our own strength, but we don't need to. We are united with Christ in all his power. Verse 8 continues the good news. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Well, since the regime change has happened in our lives, Paul can give the command in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so you obey its evil desires. Because we are no longer under the regime of sin, Paul can give us this command not to let sin reign. Because Christians are no longer under the regime of sin, Paul can tell us not to obey its evil desires. Now, let's think a bit more carefully about that command in verse 12. You would mock one of those Albanian political prisoners if you told him to live out his freedom while the gates of the concentration camp were still closed. But if you give him that command when the gates are unlocked, then all the possibilities of a new life are open to him. Likewise, if I gave you verse 12, when you lived in the hopeless despair of sin's regime, I would just be making fun of you. You would have no capacity to resist the will of sin. But Jesus has overthrown sin's regime and we have died with him and risen to a new life. That changes our fight against sin completely. We are confident to take up the fight because we are no longer controlled by the regime of sin. We must, by faith in God's word, lay hold of the fact that we have died to the reign of sin and are now alive to God under his reign of grace. Unless we do that, we're going to find ourselves trying to pursue our own holiness by the strength of our own wills and not by the grace of God. And that's going to end up in exhaustion and defeat for us. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But how can we make that happen in practical ways? It's not a matter of let go and let God. We must take up an active fight against sin now that we are under the new regime of Christ. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Since we are under the new regime of Christ, take up the fight against sin day by day. Don't let sin reign. Don't obey its evil desires. Verse 13 continues. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now it says, don't offer any part of yourself to sin. I think there's an echo there of the Old Testament sacrificial system where you either made an offering to the true God or to the false God. But it also foreshadows something that Paul's going to say in a few chapters time in Romans 12 verse 1 where he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Since we are no longer part of the old regime of sin, we don't offer any part of ourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Rather, we offer our whole lives to God as an instrument of righteousness. Now, it's an odd phrase to talk about a part of yourself, and I guess it would make a pretty good children's talk, wouldn't it, if you had an hour if you could talk about how to be an instrument of wickedness or how to be an instrument of righteousness. Let's do some examples. Hands, will we use our hands to build and heal and help and give or will we use them to grab and hinder and destroy? Legs, will the legs take us to good tasks or will they take us to mischief ears can be an instrument this is sounding familiar Hmm, okay i've heard this before somewhere ears can be an instrument of wickedness if they're willing to listen to false teaching and slander but an instrument of righteousness if they listen to things that are true and noble and right A mouth can be an instrument of wickedness if it's used for gossip and putting others down, but an instrument of righteousness if it's used for building others up and sharing the good news. Now, that's all good stuff for um, a kid's talk, but I guess as we're beyond uh, that, we can also think in some more abstract ways about the parts of our bodies, okay? Here's a few examples. Your right foot, guys, and I'm talking to guys here, your right foot can be an instrument of wickedness if you use it to speed and run red lights, but it can be an instrument of righteousness if you take a much calmer approach to driving. Your wallet can be an instrument of wickedness if you use your money in a selfish way to build your own kingdom but it can be an instrument of righteousness if you use your money generously and for building God's kingdom your mind can be uh, an instrument for righteousness if you discipline it to think for God and be creative in serving his kingdom but it can be an instrument for wickedness if you nurse bitterness and envy and you invent evil. Now, no doubt you can think of many more ways the parts of yourself can be used for righteousness or wickedness, and I promise I won't attempt any musical instruments because that will end badly. But the point here is that we are to live um, in a way that makes the fact that we belong to the new regime real and make it real that we no longer live under the regime of sin we can stand up to sin and say no to it before we had no choice now we have one when we sin as christians we don't sin as slaves because we have to but we sin as individuals with freedom of choice we sin because we choose to sin take up the fight against sin day by day day by day Choices. Make your regime change real. Now, if only it was as easy as this, a new status, a series of good choices, and we would be free of sin. But there are many danger points in the fight against sin. And to understand the dangers, we need to step back and look at the wider landscape of the rise and fall of sin's reign. The early church father, Augustine, came up with a very useful summary about the reign of sin in our lives. Adam, the pre-fall human, was not able to sin. And for a long time, he chose not to eat the fruit of that tree. He chose to obey God and not to sin. But once he chose sin, something changed entirely in the human race. As post-fall humans, humanity was unable not to sin now that's a double negative that makes it a bit tricky but what it means is that humans then are slaves to sin forced to obey its evil desires now that's not to say everyone was as bad as they possibly could be but the point here is that our underlying motivations for even the best act were not for the glory of god and worse still We were under law, which pointed out every instance of sin without giving us the ability to resist sin. With the coming of Christ, reborn humans are under grace and not law. We are in Christ, whereby his death and resurrection mean that we are set free from slavery to sin. We are able not to sin. We have choices not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies so we don't obey its evil desires. We have choices whether we will offer the parts of our body to sin or to God. In the life to come, as glorified humans, we will be unable to sin. Something to look forward to, but we're not there yet because right now as Christians, we are reborn humans We are able not to sin, and so we're to take up an active fight against sin. As we do that, let's have a look at three danger points we might face in our fight against sin. First danger point is our bad habits. Because we are born as sinners, we have from birth developed habits of sin. We all tend to act according to the sinful habits that had been engraved into us from long practice. Christians tend to sin out of habit. It's our habit to look out for ourselves instead of looking out for others. It's our habit to retaliate if we are injured in some way. It's our habit to indulge the appetites of our bodies. It's our habits to live for ourselves and not to live for God. When we become Christian, we don't drop all of those habits overnight. In fact, we're going to spend the rest of our lives putting off these habits and putting on habits of holiness. Now, as we battle the old habits of sin, remember that we are no longer controlled by sin's regime. Not only are we dead to sin, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have the resources we need to overcome our old bad habits and to offer every part of our life as instruments of righteousness to him. We are to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. All right, that's the first danger point that hits us in our fight against sin. The second danger point in our fight against sin is the problem that we live in a world populated by those who are still slaves to sin's regime. Now, we sometimes think that teenagers are the only ones who face the problem of peer pressure, but the reality is that every Christian faces our own type of peer pressure from those under the regime of sin. In lots and lots of ways, the world is trying to conform us to its own sinful mould. Some of those strategies are subtle, but these days, much of it's very obvious. I remember when I was growing up, there was a lot of discussion about the values coming through TV. But with the TV, you can at least choose good programs to watch, or you can even switch it off and not watch it at all. Since then things have come a long way. I talk to teenagers in extreme who watch lots and lots of YouTube and TikTok and that seems to be the thing. They get home from school, switch on YouTube and watch lots of it. The difference though with those platforms now is that the platforms will suggest videos and sometimes even churn out the next piece of content without the user needing to do anything. So teens are certainly getting discipled by social media. There are some good things, but there are also some bad things. And I know because they asked me about some of the things that they've been watching. Now sometimes when I'm working with teenagers in that situation, I wonder if the very few hours in the week that they spend in extreme and other Christian things like their Christian group at school is enough to push back on the peer pressure from a world under the dominion of sin that keeps trying to crowd in on them. Now I'm sure it's not just teenagers who have that problem because I think all of us are being actively discipled by this world As we watch media and as we read what the world delivers, a few hours of church and community group each week is good, but sometimes you wonder if it's enough to push back on all of the things of the regime of sin that crowd in on us. You're actively getting discipled by the world it's trying to conform you to its sinful mould and you have to think how are you going to push back apart from church activities um, think about some practical things you can do maybe podcasts to listen to in your car on the way to work maybe Christian music while you're going jogging Um, some have a verse of the day delivered to their phone which helps them to reflect on something throughout the rest of the day that's reading Christian books going to Christian conferences There's many ways that you can push back against the world's peer pressure to get you to conform to sin's regime. But you're going to have to think of practical ways to do that. But you know what? Sometimes we just need the discipline to switch off all the inputs so we can spend some time reflecting on God and praying. But that's hard to do if your phone is constantly buzzing with the new exciting thing that's coming from the world. It's going to take discipline to switch off the input and reflect on God. But it's vital that we do that. We have a new status. We are dead to sin and alive to Christ. So don't let the old regime of sin reign in your life. Take active steps to be discipled into the new regime. We are to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's the second danger point that hits us in our fight against sin. Third danger point in our fight against sin often comes from feelings of guilt. When we sin, the law is still there to remind us that we have fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes those feelings of guilt are so strong that we feel like we're still stuck under the rule of the old regime of sin. That can mean we want to give up on the fight against sin because it's just too hard and too much work. The law reminds us of our continuing inability to do the wrong thing. The law has us pinned down by showing us exactly all of the places where we have sinned. When we see that, we wonder, don't we stand condemned before God? Well, the news here is good. Look at verse 14. It says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Paul continues to remind us, because, we're going to forget it, that we have swapped regimes. We are no longer under the reign of sin. The law no longer has power over us. Rather, the new regime of Jesus that brings grace, that frees us from the power of the law. A while back, I was talking to a guy I know who's grown up in a Christian family. Uh, his name was Troy. He knew all the right answers in Bible studies, but he was sharing with me personally that he he was worried about a recurring sin he had and he, It was making him feel condemned by God. He was wondering um, what was happening with his Christian life because he was trying to fight against this sin, but it just kept coming back. I was able to share to him the good news that his regime change means Christians are no longer condemned by law, but we're living under grace. I was able to confidently tell him that his sins can be forgiven. But also I was able to tell him confidently that he can learn to live under the new regime of Christ because he has been raised with Christ. And in the same way, the law no longer has any power over our life. We live under grace in the new regime. Our wrongdoings don't condemn us. We live under grace whereby forgiveness is found in Jesus and allows us to move forward. Now, God in his infinite wisdom has seen fit to allow this daily battle with indwelling sin for us. But God does not leave us alone to battle on our own. Just as he delivered us from the overall reign of sin, so he has made ample provision for us in the daily skirmishes against sin. We are to count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now to finish, let me tell you about a very unexpected conversion Carl grew up in a non-Christian home and I think the background was nominally Buddhist but the reality was that religion just really didn't have much part in his family's life. He probably knew some of the basics about Christianity from school and bits and pieces he's heard there and at one point um, one of his school friends had dragged Carl along to a Christianity Explained course which gave him some more of the basics um, but really no desire to explore further for himself. During university years, one of his closest school friends converted to Christianity, and that school friend dragged Carl along to church, and he landed in my Friday evening Christianity Explored group. His friend hassled him to come every week, which was good because it meant that Carl learned the whole content of the Christianity Explored course week. We talked about humanity's rebellion against God. We talked about Jesus' death and resurrection as the way back to God. And as we're getting towards the end part of the course, I asked Carl what he was thinking about Christianity and the things that he had been learning. Well, he's quite frank with me. He said the course is very interesting on Christianity Explored to get a view of what it's all about. And everyone's very, very friendly here at church. But the reality is he just didn't see that it had any relevance for him. He'd heard it all before last time. It wasn't relevant then, and it wasn't relevant now. So He wasn't hostile to Christianity at all. I think he was just indifferent to it. So I was thinking to myself, all right, the chances of him coming, becoming Christian are very, very low, like, like I'm talking pretty much zero, which is okay because when you do a Christianity Explored course, you know, people kind of need time to think what they're going to be committing to and it can be a long process to learn about Christianity before someone will commit. Anyway, the next Friday evening, Carl was absent, but his friends came up to me and said, Oh, but Carl became a Christian. I said, No, no, I I don't think that's right. Um, Yeah, it must be mistaken because um, he was nowhere near to becoming Christian when I spoke to him last Friday. No, 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 they insisted he he really has become a Christian. I I, I dismissed that as fake news, all right? The the following Friday, then, Carl turned up. Oh, Pete, I became a Christian. I said, No, that's can't be right now if you are ever leading a christianity explore cause please do not say that if someone out of the blue tells you that they've become a christian well he wasn't put off by my blundering reply he said no no i really did become a christian are you sure And don't say that either, all right, if you're doing a Christianity explore course. He wasn't put off again. He says, yes, I'm sure. I went home that Friday after we talked and didn't think much about Christianity over the weekend. But on Monday night, I was just sort of sitting in my room thinking about things. And suddenly, I had this really strong feeling about how I had lived my life apart from God. I felt terrible when I realized that I had set my life priorities around what I wanted and not what God wanted but then I remembered all the stuff that we'd been learning in the Christianity explored group and I remembered how Jesus's death and resurrection opened the way for me to come back to God and there and then on that Monday night I said sorry to God and asked him to be my God going forward Now fortunately at this point I managed not to say anything else that was inappropriate and I just praise God that he had taken Carl out of the kingdom of sin and brought him into his kingdom. It was a genuine conversion. Now it was harder for Carl, I think, because he didn't have the background of a Christian family and hadn't grown up knowing all the Sunday school answers that kids have if they've had, you know, many years in church, and he had a lot of stuff to learn. But now he was in Christ and he was equipped to live as a christian we were there to help him as he took up the daily fight against sin and i'm pleased to say carl has continued in his christian faith to this day it was a very unexpected conversion most of all for me but i think for him as well and his friends but more evidence that we can count ourselves dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus let me pray for us as we finish Heavenly Father, thanks that Jesus' death and resurrection frees us from the regime of sin and gives us a new life. Please help us in the fight against sin. Help us to use our parts for righteousness, not wickedness. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.